know I need to do this in moderation Cause I see myself colliding I feel the destruction and change that's happening Within my body consuming this and consuming that When I think about it, might have lost myself So when you see me out, I'm not quite the same When you look in my face, can you feel my rage? I got an open page, I wanna scribble my thoughts Of the pain of losing something that I put my life into Paint a portrait and make all sorts of noise Scream loud in the booth and ignite the truth Truth is, I wanna just jump on the highway and floor it And end up in some place in Florida Hop on the boat and just dip, homie, oh, you may have prediabetes and you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org but you're probably not going to nope i'm sure you've got a perfectly good excuse kids work <laughs> i get it you're busy so what better time than now let's begin raise one finger if you're a man ladies none yet oh count in your head if you're driving now three more fingers for everyone over 60 two over 50 one over 40 one more if you're not physically active. Another finger if anyone in your family has type 2 diabetes. Another if you've got high blood pressure. If you're overweight, raise another finger. Two if you're very overweight. And three if you're really overweight. You've just taken the world's first audio pre-diabetes test. And if you're holding up five or more fingers, visit doihaveprediabetes.org or talk to your doctor. There's no excuse because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Adopt U.S. Kids presents what to expect when you're expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same to learn more visit adoptuskids.org a public service announcement brought to you by the u.s department of health and human services adopt us kids and the ad council you're listening to krsn LP. hello everybody and welcome back to wisdom weather where you can tune in every second friday of the month from 4 to 5 p.m on listen up youth radio and krsn and today you have a special guest hi i'm my name is adam and I can't <laughs> wait to start. And so, are you, what are you doing today? What have you been up to? Are you excited to be here? Oh my God, so excited. I've been waiting to be here forever. <laughs> uh, today, it's just chill day. Didn't have school. Just like conferences and whatnot. Okay, that's good. I know my school has been kind of crazy recently because um, I go to school in South Minneapolis and we've been on strike for the past couple of days, which... I've been, I haven't gone out every day because I wasn't able to, but I have gone out for three of the four days, and it's been really nice to be able to, you know, gather with my teachers and see some students there, and it's been pretty powerful, so it's been really exciting, and also seeing all of that on, you know, Instagram and have it circulate over social media, too, it's been kind of nice. Absolutely. I totally believe that it's well overdue. Yeah. (laughs) And I think... And I, I mean, this also goes into the topic that we're talking about today, which is anger and resentment. Um, it makes me really mad to think about the fact that this is something that our teachers have to fight for, and they're not able to get the wages that they deserve, and they're fighting to have, you know, 30K, 35K a year be 
standardized, you know, and have that be just a normal practice. That is crazy to me. And it's aggravating to think that teachers aren't getting what they deserve. Oh, absolutely. It's, I could not imagine what they have all been through because, like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, and I think the thing is, too, with that, for the past, um, couple of, like for the past couple of weeks I'd say I feel like I've been really trying to get in tune with what I believe to be my anger if that you know really makes sense to just kind of understand and navigate that what I feel doesn't have to be brushed off as just frustration or aggravation it's okay to be angry and have that be a descriptor of how I'm feeling oh yeah absolutely and then previously this week I found out some information that because I was like resenting something that someone did to me earlier and then mm-hmm. I kind of learned like some background information that kind of made sense so I was like okay I don't hate you anymore it makes sense that what you did to me like that's the that's how that's how you are like you really can't change that and it really brought me closer to the person because I kind of understand where they're now from and it made me feel better because I'm just not full of all that hate and resentment that I was before yeah yeah and it's also, it can be so relieving to let go of resentment and be able to finally say, oof, it's done, it's over. Oh, absolutely. After it happened, I was like, that's, it feels so much better because, like, if you are bringing out all that, like, negative energy, it's like, it, it only doesn't, it only just, like, doesn't only affect you, it affects people around you as well. And, like, it really, like, brings the room down at times. But at the same time, it's helpful, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I know, I don't know if you've ever had this experience whenever you're upset about something and then all of a sudden you're angry at other people for being happy. Oh, absolutely. And their happiness is really just making you even more upset and it's frustrating you and it's the situation all of a sudden of, wow, I really wish they weren't happy right now. It's bringing down my mood to see other people have joy. Oh my God, absolutely. And then like sometimes... I just think to myself, I should do this out of spite just to make them upset because they're being happy. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. It's, I feel like a lot of the time, anger, depending on how, you know, you were raised to let your anger out and Mm -hmm. the society that you live in and stuff, I feel like a lot of the time, anger, it comes out in this form of pain, you know, in this form of wanting not only for other people to be able to empathize with how you feel, but for other people to understand it and not have you know, any judgment behind it. Um, and so that kind of makes me think of, you know, like a toddler throwing a tantrum and they're probably upset about something something because they can't communicate and they don't necessarily know what they need, but they know something's wrong. And so they start throwing a fit and they start crying. But, you know, the older you get, you can't always throw a fit and you can't always start crying. Mm-hmm. And then you start almost losing these ways to let out anger unless you're, you know, like, the stereotypical things, which is, you know, going boxing, going for a run, doing some self-care. Yeah. You know, not everyone wants to do that. (laughs) I actually, so, fun fact, I have ADHD, and when I was younger, I would sometimes have a little bit of, like, some breakdowns and, like, get up really upset. So, my therapist actually recommended that I, one, punched a pillow, and two, take some ice from, like, the, (laughs) the freezer and put it down the back of my shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried none of those, but I don't know. That's so funny. No, I know when I was younger, I had this whole pain demands to be felt, like, phase, Ugh. you know. And so whatever I would do whenever I was upset, I would, um, when I would go for these hour-long walks around my block until, you know, my legs were numb and I couldn't do anything about it because I just had to get all the rage out. And mm-hmm. then I would take these really big sticks that would fall from our trees and then I would hit them against the tree trunks. Oh my God, I did that too. Mm-hmm. Outside my house, picked up all the sticks and just no, some, I, yeah. I, it was so therapeutic. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I think no matter how kind of cringeworthy my whole, I, also I'm stealing pain demands to be felt from the Fault in Our Stars, which was my favorite movie <laughs> at the time too. <laughs> but I, no matter how kind of cringy that was or whatever, that, being able to kind of allow myself to let out anger in that way is kind of really beautiful, to be honest. Because I don't, to now, I don't really think I allow myself to feel angry. It's more of, that's upsetting. I'm going to go to bed and not think about it and move on, you know? Oh, absolutely. 
Uh, I can't say I have recently broke a stick against, like, a t- tree trunk, but, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. Ugh, I know. The last time I felt anger, I would say, was when... Well, I guess, okay. I mean, I've been suddenly angry at a lot of things, but something that really sticks out to me is when... So I'm planning this trip. Right, I'm planning to go to Mexico with my friend, right? And it's just gonna be, it was supposed to just be the two of us. Um, and it was gonna be this really fun thing, and we had been planning it for months, you know? And my parents, for my birthday, they got me this Delta gift card. I could go anywhere I wanted, oh, yeah. and there was no uh, limitations on this gift. Um, and then at the start of this month, and keep in mind this trip is for spring break, so it's on April 1st. Mm-hmm. Um, on like four days ago, they said, Zarea, we're going to have to have your aunt come on the trip with you because we're just not comfortable with you guys going alone. She's going to have to stay in the room with you and your friend, and y'all are going to have to essentially really change your whole trip. <laughs> and I know, that was it was horrible. And I think the thing is, I understand that they wanted my aunt to be on the trip. I get that. And I'm not hurt about the fact that they want her there and that they feel like it's a safety thing. If anything, I'm grateful that they even offered that because I sure is, I sure wasn't going to ask for it, you know, because I want that independence of being on the trip of my own. I want it to be my trip. You know, I didn't ask for a chaperone, but they didn't understand why I was angry that they told me less than a month before mm-hmm. the trip and we had been planning it for three months prior. Oh, yeah, I know that feeling. Um, whenever I go out with, like, friends or anything, my parents are like, oh, like, I understand it's, like, a safety thing, but... It's like whenever I go out and do whatever I want to do, I'm 18. I legally able to be out past like 12. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's just like I understand you're trying to be like keeping me safe, but I'm an adult now, and like I kind of want the same respect that I that you can go out and I don't like ask you where you are, who who you're gonna be with, and like whatnot because like I'm a smart kid. I'm not gonna get into any trouble or anything. And yeah. And then, yeah, I've had my mother ask my brother, like, who I'm hanging out with, where, what am I doing and everything. It was just like, if that was really important to you, you could have just asked me. Mm-hmm. Like, just like a simple respect thing, but it's not too bad. Yeah. No, and I think even though, like what you're saying, it's, you know, it's a safety thing and it's definitely understandable, but at, at a certain point, it feels like it's more of a personal respect thing. And being able to see me not only as, you know, your kid and someone that you are obligated to look after, but, you know, still a person who's worthy of being able to have a boundary or at least worthy of being able to be asked up front and not have to, you know, feel as if you have to go through loopholes to get information out of me. Because a lot of the time, kids are willing to be pretty forthcoming, but parents are willing to ask, you know? Yeah. And I also feel like because we are both recently 18 like very recently yeah so like to them we're still children we're their kids Mm -hmm. so i do understand where they're coming from and it will take time for them to probably back up a little bit but just like reminding them that hey like i need some space sometimes like i need like the mutual respect you know what i mean yeah yeah and that can even still that can be such a scary thing to do from your parents and asking boundaries sometimes you oh know? absolutely yeah. i still have issues with that yeah. to this day <laughs> you know and then especially coming into this new you know adulthood this new adult identity it makes it even scarier you know because a lot of the time it doesn't even feel like you have even you're not even able to come into it yet you know you're still a kid you still have like oh you can't drive you can't vote well you can't vote but yeah. You can't rent a car. You can't do this, this, and that without a lot of approval from your parents. And even though you're still looking to find this new sense of self, you're still also asked from society to know yourself already and not have these boundaries put on you by the world, but they are. Oh, absolutely. It's it's kind of like when I turned 16. Uh, I was told uh, they're going to start expecting you to act like an adult, but they won't treat you like one. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I feel like the same with 18 because, like you said, it's we have all these, like, societal, like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, rules, like, put onto us where they expect us to to do these things. And 
we are still trying to figure ourselves out. Yeah. And that makes me think even too about college, which really makes me angry. Oh my God. And everything within the college education system, there, like one, there's like a really nice, beautiful aspect to it of education and learning and continuing that, mm-hmm. and, you know, being this ever expanding mind. But it is so aggravating that they pin fellow poor people against each other for money. Oh my God. And then yeah. they also, in that same breath, expect you to say, oh, well, still, you have to pay $10,000. Still, this money should be enough for you. You should be able to afford this when clearly we can't because you're pinning up 50 million poor kids together and then you're giving them scraps. Oh, absolutely. And then when these poor people who do well in school and <laughs> if they even have the resources, mm-hmm. they can get into all these nice colleges because they're so expensive. And all these kids who come from old money and have like parents who are alumni get in there just because they have money yeah. and they don't work for it. It's so frustrating. Man, and I even think of, so like for my situation, there was um, two schools. I, one, I was really horrified that I wasn't going to get in anywhere, so I applied to 17 schools. Yeah. So anyone listening, please don't be like me. I kind of went insane, and I do a little bit regret it, but I also regret none of it because I don't have a lot of regrets, and that's not going to be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think the thing is, for me, it just felt like, so there was these three schools, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had, I got into these three schools, right? And so one of them, I ended up being selected to be like a finalist for the scholarship. It was full tuition. Another one, same thing, full mm-hmm. tuition. And then there's this other one that's not, it's not um, like a super, it's not a private school. It's a public school. Mm-hmm. So you're not giving out these hoity-toity scholarships. <laughs> yes, of course not. And so um, I wasn't really too worried about my financial aid package for that one. But then the other two, um, you can tell the demographic of people that they're going for, and it's definitely these more progressive people of color, women. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. So, like, <laughs> they're looking for that people, that type of person to be the poster child for their school, even though, you know, 80% of the people who get into the school are still white kids. They're still people who are coming from money. And then they're pinning you up against each other to try and win the one scholarship that gives you full tuition and then they kind of expect the rest of you to have nothing yeah like i don't know if like this is like the right term but they're pretty much just trying to make you a token yeah 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 they're token it happens all the time oh absolutely and like i i don't want to say this cool because you know what if i end up going there (laughs) but um there was this one university that i had saw um and it was it was like a commercial on the news and i didn't end up applying it but I, they had a whole bunch of Asian people on their website, and they had this whole, you know, like, beautiful spread of demographic, and they had these statistics that showed how diverse and how transformative that this school was, and then I ended up going to their website and looking at it, and you could clearly tell that that was not the case, and that it was coming from a performative lens, you know, and then you go to ask actual students what the campus is like, what the food's like, what the people are like, and then you're hearing... Yeah, I mean, it's relatively diverse, except all the clubs, it costs money to get into, so there ends up not being a lot of lower-income people getting into clubs, or you have to apply to get in, and they're only looking for white students, to be honest, when you really think about it, when with all the n- narrations that you have to get into the clubs, you know? No, absolutely. I was invited, because I have an older friend. Mm-hmm. Their college, uh, not naming names, of course, yeah. uh, had a, like a cultural event tonight. So they had all these speeches and like di- speech- uh, speakers from like all these different cultures and whatnot. And it was like really cool. But it so it was just all kids who were uh, who are under uh, like uh, ethnic groups that were like minorities and like people of color and whatnot. Uh, I was invited because they, you could have a guest. I am none, by the way, uh, but <laughs> so, yeah, so I went there and everything was kind of cool. But after like after that night, when I came back, the entire campus was just like full of like all these white people. And like it was I don't know, it felt strange. Like I can't come from it, come come into it from like a person of color stance. Mm-hmm. But it was just was like. I don't know. I also just felt really weird seeing it because it just felt like very performative and like very like trying to be inclusive. But besides that, just day, everything else was just like all these white people. And, you know, yeah, yeah. And I think 
And that even really does go to show, though, when as a white person walking into spaces, you really do have, you know, the power to really shift and dictate the the energy of a room and being able to say, like, yeah, I'm calling this out. There's half of this room is full of white oh, people. Oh, and it takes a white person uh, for them to listen up. Yeah. And it's so, mm, yeah. oh, no, ooh, I almost, I almost <laughs> got really mad there. Man. Yeah. And that, and that also kind of reminds me, I was watching, I don't remember what TV show I was watching, mm-hmm. but um, it made me realize when you look at a crowd in a movie and it's mostly white people, you really don't bat an eye. It's like, yeah, that's just what it looks like. But then mm-hmm. if you were to see a crowd full of Asian people or a crowd full of black people, then it, all of a sudden it looks more intentional. It looks like, mm-hmm. you know, they handpicked everyone to be here, whereas it's a full white crowd. That's just the crowd, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of, it's weird to think about it like that, too. Yeah, like, I, I don't know, it's just so weird because I didn't really grow up in a full white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I, I lived in low income for most of my, for most of my life. So I've had neighbors of all races and like demographics and everything. And like, I went to a school where it was like that. So going in and seeing movies where it was mostly white people, as like, at, at, like at a young age was, I didn't really think about it. But it was still a little confusing to me. And then it really didn't kick in until I got older when I did move to the more quote-unquote nicer area, if mm-hmm. you know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it was mostly all white students, and it was mostly all white people, and then it was just like, there's something going on here. There's, there's something, like, our underlying issues that I've just noticed. Yeah. And that... I don't want to get into it until after, but we're about to go into our first break. Alrighty. Very, very exciting. And I feel like, I think for this first half, we've had some pretty powerful conversations about, Mm -hmm. you know, what it, not necessarily what it means to be angry, but really what makes us angry. Absolutely. All the things that they've come from, whether that be from education to racism to all under the umbrella, because society really has... As young people, I feel like they really do kind of put put us in this corner and put us in this section of the world that makes us have to feel like we have to not only push boundaries and, you know, be the social beautiful butterfly, which I feel like we both are to a a certain extent, but it just feels it's our job to constantly be transcending and not have the time to look back to be upset, and we can allow ourselves that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. And with that special message, I'm the host of Wisdom Weather Zarea with special guest Adam. And we're gonna go into our first song, which in y'all we're gonna hear Cranberry Ooh. by Oops, I actually completely messed that one up. Y'all are gonna hear Zombie by the Cranberries. And with that, I hope y'all enjoy. Bye bye.
The Phyllis Wheatley Community Center offers all kinds of family and youth programs, including free walk-in COVID saliva testing every Friday from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. and free vaccine clinics on the first Saturday of every month from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. All of our programs are offered at the Phyllis Wheatley Community Center located at 1301 10th Avenue North. To learn more about our COVID testing and vaccine clinics, as well as children and adult enrichment programs, please call 612-254-1145 or visit phyllisweekly.org. Don't forget that while supplies last, we're offering a free $50 Visa gift card if you receive your vaccine with us. Stay safe and stay healthy with the Phyllis Wheatley Community Center. and welcome back to Wisdom Weather, where you can tune in every second Friday of the month from 4 to 5 p.m. on Listen Up Youth Radio and KRSM. And again, it's your host, Zareya, with our beautiful and special guest, Adam. Hello, hello, Adam. Hello. <laughs> and I just want to remind everyone that we were just talking about anger and what really makes us angry. And y'all also did just hear The Zombies by the Cranberries, which is a beautiful song. I love it. really makes me get my anger out. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And so with that, with the whole me and Adam talking about what really makes us angry, we really kind of wanted to dive in to the Army and college and how they, you know, pick people. I wanted to let Adam lead that. Oh, my God. Absolutely. What really grinds my gears is (laughs) how they just, like, prey on all these young men who were just turning 18 trying to get into college with all these like grants and stuff and it looks all like it's all (laughs) like it's great like it's gonna be easy because they're gonna pay for their college the only have to do is just like enlist and like go into the reserves and whatnot but the thing is is like how can you trust someone who just turned 18 to operate like military grade weapons and like machines but you can't let them even drink yet you can't let them like rent a car you can't let them in some places can't even like rent a hotel room so it's like you are like preying on all these young people who aren't cognitively like mature yet like the your the brain is still growing and still maturing and it's just like so wild because i turned 18 and i'm a cis male and so i had to by law straight up or i was going to be fined like a lot of money to like enlist in the draft, it was like, okay, fine, whatever. But I was reading it, and what really made me upset was that by law, you have to enlist in the draft if you were born, assigned male at birth, but then transitioned into a woman. Uh, you still have to enlist in the draft, which is pretty much them saying, we don't care that you, you're, you're trans and like you're a woman now. It, it's not valid and it's just like that's really insane that that's still legal because she's like totally like tells them it's just like you're not like it's not val- you're not validating their identity yeah and that is disturbing on so many levels oh absolutely you know, and from thinking about you know these people who were assigned male at birth and they've transitioned into whatever new identity that you know they Oh, absolutely, yeah. Themselves. You know, they're transitioning into this new identity, and then the government is saying, you're not valid, and then you're having poor people feel like they have to, they need to enlist in the army, and they're being targeted. By law. By law, you know, they're being targeted, and then they're saying, here, this is the option for you. This is the way you'll get into college. This is the way you do it, by putting yourself on the mm-hmm. line, by doing this, this, and that. And that's not to discredit anyone who has been in the army that's not to discredit oh absolutely you know, not they pass veterans or anything like that but it's really you have to look at these structures that are put into place that are actively causing harm and they're actively not only physically able to harm people because of not only the generational trauma of these american systems that have been put in place and you know these class action lawsuits that have been done against people and you know the mm-hmm. government and all that it's it's traumatic and it's heartbreaking and it's a systematic way of targeting people and hurting them and it's aggravating. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And then if they do go to war and come back, 
the veterans are not treated well at all. Absolutely no, not. not no, for. they're not cared for. And I could, on all my fingers, on all my toes, plus some, I could tell, I could count more and more veterans that I've known that they're not getting vaccinations that they need. They're mm-hmm. not getting the mental health support that they need. They're not getting clothing, food, shelter, anything that they need and they're left out on the streets but look they have their college degree that they didn't have to pay anything for which is crazy because to be able to go and like be in the military you're supposed to have you're not supposed to i believe don't quote me on this it was like you're not you're supposed to not be able have not been placed into a facility like a mental hospital or something like that to play you haven't you you cannot have been an inpatient before Mm -hmm. but all these people are coming out with all these new like disorders and like disabilities because of it and it's like you're coming in all right and then you're leaving like damaged and it's just like I don't know it's like so weird yeah and I think that also really goes to show too I feel like one well you know anti-war all the way Mm -hmm. oh absolutely but I feel like we really have to rethink the structure of the places that we're putting people in and we have to rethink the structure of what in quotes this war and looks like to mm-hmm. people and whether they want it to be this you know blood battle whether they want it to be this pace this place of pain this place of you know hurting and murder and all of that whether they want it to be that or they want it to be a place of problem solving and they want this like almost societal war to really end you know, mm-hmm. and it, I don't know, it feels to me, and also, to be honest, I didn't know that males had to enlist into the Oh, draft. I didn't know that that was a thing. Um, if I was, like, three months late, I was worried. Like, I wasn't, you shouldn't be worried if you're, like, you're a little bit late. You mm-hmm. you can enlist, you were just supposed to enlist until you're, like, 26, but uh, you're not going to be, like, heavily fined, but, like, if you, but, like, if they do catch you, they might put like go through legal action so i don't know i suggest that if you're assigned male at birth that you enlist in the draft when you turn 18 yeah when you when thinking about all of this stuff does it make you think of a time when you first really experienced anger and let it out or do you allow yourself to still feel anger it really depends on like what the situation is because i i have to really think is if is this something I really need to be upset about? Is it something that I really need to, like, express and, like, be all loud about? Because I feel like, <laughs> I don't know, it's just, like, hard because coming from a place where I can't really express my opinions sometimes, it's just, just like, is it even worth it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know, I feel like for me, I feel like I a lot of my emotions come out really loudly. They come out pretty big, whether that be my sadness, my disappointment, my joy, anything like that, except I've managed to repress my feelings for anger in almost every sense, you know, which, you know, definitely comes from, you know, like angry black girl stereotypes. And oh my God, I was, <laughs> yeah. I was about to <laughs> say something about that. Yeah, no, yeah. And, and that kind of reminds me of when I was in about fourth I think it was in fifth grade Mm -hmm. I think um and so I went to a Montessori school and so basically what that means there was younger kids and older kids all in the same classroom Mm -hmm. um and there was this kid he was in about fourth grade and he would I was in fifth grade so this was this younger kid that was trying to bully me essentially but I wasn't I wasn't hitting him back I wasn't yelling at him I kind of just let it happen Mm because like whatever he's a year he's a grade below me doesn't even matter you know and so there was one time, our teacher, she used to make us do laps in the morning on Wednesdays so we could get our energy out and stuff. And so there's this one day, he decides to, he, like, took his shoe off and he hit me with his shoe. Oh, my God. And then he starts, you know, running, right? Mm-hmm. And so naturally my response is to, I grab him and I'm like, hey, you're not going to be able to do that. I, I've i let you get away with doing XX and X, but, mm-hmm. like, this is the fun. Like, I don't know what possessed you to think it was okay to touch me, but you're not going to get away with that. You Absolutely. Know? And then I kind of, I let him go and he started running away. And then as we get back to line up near the classroom on the side of the door, 
this um, random teacher that I had never met before, and she wasn't mine. Mm-hmm. She came up to me and she was like, "I saw you punch him." I then 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 and I'm keep in mind I'm in fifth grade. I'm horrified because I that was kind of my first experience with asserting myself and not letting mm-hmm. someone cause harm to me and being in one in a really good way too. I like told him that's not okay. You're not I'm not gonna let you get away with that. You yeah. Know? And then for her to come up and say, I saw you punch him, you assaulted him, da-da-da-da, and I never even touched him. <laughs> yeah, so that brings me to another point, is if kids can, like, if, if people at such a young age can experience racism and, like, microaggressions and all these things, then they should be taught about it. Because in the mm-hmm. news right now and, like, everywhere, it's like, don't be te- you shouldn't be teaching your kids all these things. You're just kids. Well, if they're young enough to experience it themselves, if they go out on the street and they experience racism, racism is thrown onto them, they deserve to know what it means and, like, what, what's happening. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's obviously, like, it should be in classrooms and stuff, but then once you start only only – thing that kids know about is Ruby Bridges, Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. da, 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 da. and then, but again, not everyone even knows about that. I don't even know who Ruby Bridges is. See, yeah. that's what I mean. You know, and so it's one of those things where unless you, you're going to this charter school, you're going to a social justice school, one that's geared towards teaching mm-hmm. you about the world and all of that, then the scope of your world and education is about the war. It's about World War One, World War Two. Mm-hmm. And, you know, depending on where you live in Minnesota, it might be about um, some Native culture, too, which is also really important and really Absolutely. important to have in classrooms. But it's it does more damage than it does good when you're, you know, in sixth, fifth grade, you don't understand why your teacher's, you know, being horrible and is saying, that black man deserves to be shot, da 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 and you don't even know how to react to it because mm-hmm. all you learned about blackness was slavery. <laughs> right. And then it's... I've seen these memes just like, when they're talking about, like, Martha Luther King and, like, you're black and just, like, all these, like, white kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's, I don't know, it's just, like, they should be taught about it at an earlier age because it's such, like, an important topic. And, like, because it literally still happens today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and I think, you know, even about my education, I didn't know, I didn't really know what the KKK was until I was in sixth grade. Oh, I yeah. barely knew who Malcolm X was. And now those people... That's just, they're on the back of my hand, you know, like I could give you 50 facts about them. I could tell you this, this, and that, but I had to search it for myself. I had to find actual black leaders in my life besides my parents and my brother and sister. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and even, like the wild thing is there, with specifically within, you know, the black community, I feel like there's some gatekeepingness within brownness, you know, and the fact that I'm this relatively like light-skinned girl with super kinky hair, I'm perceived a certain way within the black community and that makes people sometimes either be more like connected to me or it can make people really standoffish yeah um i cannot speak for that because i am a white man but i i'm able to i've observed it um i do not i cannot under say that i understand it completely because of course not but Mm -hmm. like i've being able to observe it it's just like weird it's like confusing to me yeah. <laughs> yeah. and I think I mean my guess of where something like that stems from I mean to be honest I could take and choose a lot of things that stem from slavery but like that oh, feels like obviously like the most important one and having this whole idea of worthiness comes from you know Euro- Eurocentronized views and Europeanized mm. looks you know and so whether you're looking at it from you know, all black people originally stem from Africa and this mm-hmm. being kind of like this, like, holy kingdom land or whatever. And then all of a sudden, that's not a good thing anymore. Now yeah. it's, oh, I want to be more American. I want to assimilate. I want to be, you know, be from the USA. I want to look mm-hmm. like XX and X person. Um, and that kind of, I know we're kind of spinning off a little bit here, but when you think about beauty standards around the world and the way that people are asked to be perceived, when you're looking at it from, you know, a black lens, a brown lens, you're seeing people want to assimilate more towards this white view. Oh, I, yeah. from what I've seen, like, again, can't say anything. But, like, uh, even, like, observing things in, like, some Asian countries with the, the skin whitening and then yeah. all these, like, eye surgeries. Yeah, and then it seems more like white people want to look more like people of color. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, you know, and the grass is always greener. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The grass is always greener, and... 
in the community that I grew up with when I was younger, outside of the black people in my family, I really wanted to be white really bad. I wanted to have blue green eyes. I wanted to have super beautiful curly hair that flowed in the wind behind me. I wanted all of these things that weren't mine that felt like they were out of my view because of the scope and the perspective that people put on to me. And that's aggravating. That's making me angry. <laughs> yeah. And then with my experience, I grew up with like, because I was in lower income, mm-hmm. uh, I grew up with a lot of Hispanic, Latino, um, and black people. And I, like I said, I didn't, I do not have the same experience because I guess I'm, I'm not the minority, I mean, which, is, which is true. Can I ask you, what was yeah. it like being a white person within that community? Because in that sense, mm-hmm. you were. Um, I didn't think too much of it at the time because, like, I don't know. <laughs> I had, I, I was a little, a little bit of developmentally a little <laughs> held back a little bit. So I was mm-hmm. just like, oh, on my own world. But I, I, I felt like sometimes it, people didn't really want to deal with me or like do things with me because I was white but it wasn't like at, a, at the point where it was just like straight up it was just because that I feel like it was more of like a I don't know maybe resentment I have no idea but like mm-hmm. it wasn't such a big deal for me because I was like oh these are just people like me my sister's best friend was she's mixed and I her child's literally my nephew to this day mm-hmm. so it's like I've grown up around people of color and it's I really didn't notice anything until it until I started to learn about all these things that people of color went through and still are. And it was just like, wow, that's very different. Yeah. And yeah, even in the community that I grew up in, mm-hmm. I cuz I mean, for the KRSM studio, I li- I used to live really close to over here. Mm-hmm. Um and so the neighborhood that I grew up in, there was a lot of, you know, more Somalian people, there was a couple of Hispanic people, and there was some native people. Oh yeah. And it felt like a lot of those people they had a really strong sense of their culture and mm-hmm. then for me to be, you know, this black person and you know my dad's Nigerian, so I mean I had mm-hmm. that, but I never really felt like that was something tangible for me to hold on to, you know? And so it felt almost kind of like I was I kind of yearned to have what they had in that sense. I wanted to have that sense of, yeah, like, I know that African food. Yeah, I know that name of that mm-hmm. one dance and all of that. And I never really got that from my, the, my community, which kind of hurt a little bit. But I still, I felt alienated, even though I was still surrounded by a bunch of people who were similar to me in a bunch of different ways. It just felt like I didn't necessarily belong there, even though they were my friends. Even though I loved them and all of that, there was still this underlying difference there that yeah. it felt at least i know where i grew up i was i think one of the maybe like three white families there so like no no maybe no it was four but like i like being around all this culture like i didn't really think it was different i thought that like everybody was just like this mm-hmm. and like i said until i moved into a more white area i kind of was just like oh not everybody lives like this it's not full of all this like culture and like all this like culture isn't like the main focus or you know what I mean Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's just like kind of like I guess culture shock a little bit because it was like that's all I knew and then it was like oh that's different (laughs) yeah I know um there was this saying my mom used to say it was the goal was always to live poor next to the white people (laughs) oh no (laughs) and like with that theory the whole idea is that you're assimilating whiteness with inherent richness you know oh yeah and so yeah i don't even know and i think it does so which goes back to what we were talking about earlier it just does so much damage to not not only be exposed to different communities but not understand the differences of where they come from you know if you can't sympathize with someone if you can't empathize with someone and where they've come from there's no way that you're going to be able to make progress in the future about who you are until Mm -hmm. you know you're in your 20s, you're 18, now all of a sudden the world's broken because you didn't know racism existed. Yeah, because like, like I said, I legit just grew up there and I didn't know anything. And it was kind of weird, like, because like, I don't know, it's just like, I always thought that everybody was just like all treated equal as a kid, as most people do. And just like coming out of that and being like, seeing that, all of them are there because there are people of color, because they're not given the right tools or like things. They're not given the opportunity that white white folks are. Yeah. And it's yeah. just, just like, wow. 
because like all the people who've moved out of there are pretty much white Mm -hmm. or they're or or they're mixed with white and I feel like that shows a lot yeah yeah and that even makes me think about how a lot of the time it is really stigmatized to go on food stamps and have EBT and Mm -hmm. go on social assistance one because a lot of people make it seem like, oh, this you're stealing my money, this mm-hmm. is da-da-da-da, but your taxes are going for this anyway. May as well mm-hmm. get used by someone who needs it, you know? And then it, one, becomes this whole stigmatized thing of, oh, I shouldn't have it because I'm mm-hmm. going to get judged by other people. And then it's this other stigmatized thing of, I don't want to seem so poor that I need this. I want to seem rich enough that I don't yeah. have to rely on something that I actually need. Yeah. And I feel like in the media, too, it's it's penned a lot to show that it's like single black mothers who mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. using food stamps, and it's like kind of like saying, oh, people who use food stamps are single black like women. And it's just like it's very weird because not that's not true. Yeah, there's so many people who use food stamps. Yeah, exactly. And you think no matter how big your house is, you could have the hugest house in the world mm-hmm. and still need to be on some form of social security. Still need to have whatever yeah. you know. And you have to really look at the whole picture when it comes to people. Yeah, I mean, like, I live in a neighborhood right next to a school, full white, full old people, and, like, I guess you would probably assume that, like, I'm off pretty well, but my insurance is from the government, like, all of my mm-hmm. things is, like, paid by the government. I, we do not, like, I'm lucky to be covered by that, and I'm probably, the only reason why I'm covered by it is because I'm white, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, and that was a really beautiful segment that we just had, but we're mm-hmm. gonna go into our next song. Oh, yay. <laughs> And then after that, we're going to have our little segment, and we're going to get into closure and what that means for our own anger. Yeah. And I hope you all have enjoyed me and Adam, but we're going to get into Presumably Dead Army by Sydney Fish. And with that, I hope you all enjoy. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Just to start this off, this isn't the start of anything Just a song that I can sing to you We're standing in a graveyard A presumably dead arm pop through the grass And who doesn't talk about that? Honey, you are nothing to me but alcohol and dopamine I'm dying on the sofa and I barely know the time But like an old man say, I reckon I love you for a millisecond But I don't wear a watch or Rolex and my brain's a toddler roller Skating down a hill, I took a spill and ran into a tree And suffered minor injuries Honey, you are nothing to me, I don't call people anything Thought to be so sweet But I'm just being bitchy Cause nearly everyone skipped over me on Our twilight hour meet and greet One coffee table theater scene One disregard the soaring chick Back there in corner three I'd rather let the poor kid sleep But he's tripping balls, he's tripping testes LSD post-wisdom teeth He got lost in the shower And he barely knows the hour I wanna know your passwords without changing them in preferences In all the childhood streets and deceased pets that they're referencing And in the box I'll type, I'll know all the numbers to try I wanna know the lyrics that you think of when you're high I'm in love with strangers who I've never even seen In love with weird cuppings and sweaters swaying kind of awkwardly And I'm in love with fresh air friends from overheated houses Till I Uber up a giant park and dump my body in my dorm bed Honey, you are nothing to me, I don't call people anything Thought to be so sweet But the speech is coming back with a vengeance it seems Pretense spouses are a happy storybook that will turn to stark nonfiction In the time it took for me to notice that I'm old, which means I'll be 30 and happy Likely married to personified business casual khakis And I'll forget about it when I wake up late and stupid I tried to tell the Uber driver till he tried to hit it I tried to tell my 
myself because I've come this far along Carrying my zombie arm to the 15th grade prom Honey, you are nothing to me I don't call people anything Thought to be so sweet The speech is coming back With a vengeance it seems The speech is coming back with a vengeance it seems Welcome back to Wisdom Weather, where you can tune in every second Friday of the month from 4 to 5 p.m. with Listen Up Youth Radio and KRSM. And again, this is your host, Zareya, with special guest... Adam. Hello, hello, lovely Hello. <laughs> and the song that you just heard was Presumably Dead Army by Sydney Gish. And so for the last couple of minutes, me and Adam are going to discuss closure and how that relates to anger and resentment. Yeah. And so... We were, we were kind of talking about this earlier, um, and mm-hmm. we were talking about it more in the context of relationships, but I feel like this really applies to anything. If you're angry about something mm-hmm. and you haven't really settled with that feeling yet, it's not on you to wrap up your meal, uh, your anger meal, before you're ready. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, you know, if you're if you're still upset about something, just because someone else is done and they've moved past it doesn't mean it's on you yeah. to move past it. You can still very much be on it. If you're not ready to close the door and be like, I'm behind this, don't. Because there's going to be things that you're going to dwell on, things you're just going to remember, and you're just going to be like, I wish I did this, I wish I did that. And being able to, like, dwell in it and, like, understand how you're feeling and being able to communicate it because communication is key in every single relationship mm-hmm. and being able to tell your frustrations to your partner to your whoever is just very important that's how they are healthy that's how they last and that's yeah 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 and i know ugh, i feel like for me it takes so long to get my my emotional closure you know especially when it feels, it's hard to not be even more upset when someone says, I'm done. Why aren't you happy yeah. about this anymore? Like, why aren't you fine? Why aren't you talking to me like it's a normal conversation now? And then it makes you feel like you have to move on from your emotions faster. Then you're ready, you know? And then you start, and it gets into the cycle of now I'm resenting you because mm-hmm. I have to throw this under the rug and you didn't. And now we're not on the same page. Yeah, it uh, goes into um, what we talked about during teen council like the uh it was uh it was uh what was it called like uh, stonewalling mm-hmm. and then all the other f- four other things it's like they're pretty much stonewalling you yeah and then when they say i'm done with it this don't talk about it or they say let's talk about it later and then you just don't and then you're still left with all these gross icky feelings yeah yeah no and i i know 1000% at least for me i'm so I'm a stonewaller, 1,000%. I'm so guilty of saying, you know, I don't want to do this right now. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk to you. I'm going to figure this out in my head, and then we'll leave it alone, and then I'll just leave it alone for a couple months. Mm-hmm. So the water has settled under the bridge, but it's still there. The water's not gone. It's just still, you know? Yeah. And then I can't remember what mine was called exactly, but it's, I believe it's the one where it's like... Is it the Trojan horse? It was the one where it's... It's like <laughs> it's the, it's the ones like where you like insult them, I guess. It's the one where it's like you did this, you did that, like kind of like blaming. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and then like in my stance, it was like most of the time, if I'm at this point, it is your fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like yeah, I try to have a normal conversation before the stonewalling and everything else happens. But like yeah, just being able to both have closure leaving yourselves with, like, maybe it's not the greatest, but, like, leaving with some respect for each other and not having all those icky feelings. And if you do still have some of them, they're not as prevalent as they were before. Yeah. And also, this makes me realize, or not realize, but want to say, is that it's sometimes it can be really important to just create your own closure. You know, you're not Mm -hmm. always going to get it. 
And let's say, like we were talking about earlier, with the whole army thing, mm-hmm. there's no way that you're going to get closure on that. That's kind of not really possible. Oh, you absolutely know? not. And so when you think of creating closure and finding peace with something and creating your own peace and finding these new situations to put yourself in, then you start getting into this idea of you know transcending beyond what these systems are. You can start implementing innovation and you know being this beautiful chameleonic butterfly within society you know yeah absolutely and um, that's one of my favorite parts too about being a youth even though it feels often as if it's kind of put on us in a really not so fun way (laughs) to be the 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 marcher for you know for a society we are paving the way for the future we are adults are tired of hearing themselves they want to hear (laughs) our voices (laughs) And so that's, it's personally one of my favorite parts, but also it's not easy. That is not an easy job to be on the forefront mm-hmm. of social chains constantly and putting yourself in these positions of questioning systems and looking beyond what's at everything at face value. Oh, absolutely. And it's every single generation goes through it. Mm-hmm. But like, mm-hmm. and it's all the same <laughs> where it's, oh, we didn't do this. Or like, why are you making a big deal out of this? When then there's like all these reforms and changes when they were our age like the peace in the middle east and then there's civil rights movements and like all of that there's there has been activism and thrive from change from the younger generation every single decade and like yeah yeah and it that whole thing with everything repeating itself it's like with palestine and israel versus russia and ukraine Mm -hmm. you know if russia stops fighting oh well but if ukraine stops fighting there's no more ukraine Oh, yes. You know, and so (laughs) it's like a similar thing with Palestine and Israel. You're seeing these things within different generations, even though the Palestine and Israel thing is within our generation. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, later. But you're seeing these similarities and you're seeing these people not being able to see the difference. You know, it's Mm -hmm. hindsight bias. Hindsight 2020. Shout out Mr. Wentworth, uh, psychology. But (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, it's it's hindsight bias. You're being able to see. Yeah. I should have saw that. I should have saw it coming. And then 40 years later, people are going to say, oh, yeah, I should have saw it coming. And there was no way to tell. Yeah. That was coming. But that's why it's important to not only create your own closure, but to be able to do that and still navigate society and find your own truth to create closure for yourself. Yeah, find your own way. Yeah. And so with that, Adam, do you have any final words for the last bit of the show? I cannot think of any. (laughs) And that's okay. It's been really lovely to have you. Oh, I've had an amazing time here. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, of course. It's been really powerful to be able to talk about anger in a way that is enlightening and is not angry. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, that's been really nice. And with that, I'm going to play one more song for you all, and I really hope you all enjoy. I'm going to play All I Know Now by the Pixies. Bye. Goodbye.
Only in the forest can you see this. And this. And this. But nothing beats the moment you see that. Cool! That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities. I didn't know it could do that! Because one trip to the forest can spark a world of difference. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go, like hiking, canoeing, fishing, or camping. Or create your own adventure with family and friends, and you might just see this. Your moment's out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. That's discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You're listening to KRSM LP 98.9 FM, Minneapolis. This is a Pillsbury United Communities Initiative in partnership with Voices for Racial Justice and Hope Communities. The following is a repeat broadcast of an episode from our archives. Please be advised that any references to news, upcoming events, or opportunities to call in have already passed. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. This is DJ King Otto, and we are live from Latitude 45.